I'd like to welcome those who are watching on live stream. I know there's a few people that are out sick, and, um, uh, but I know there's always people watching on live stream. So I do want to welcome you on the live stream there. I'm speaking to the camera. Grab your Bibles and your notebooks and your uh, cup of hot cocoa or whatever it is you're having. And, and uh, to the room, welcome. I feel like I've been gone for a year. I don't remember the last time I taught it. Was it prior to Christmas or was it? Yeah. I, I so thank, uh, so grateful for Brenton uh, covering last week. Uh, we had an unexpected uh, thing come up and, you know, my, my dear wife, the lazy one, ran a, a hundred mile race and uh, <laughs> I, I can't even drive a hundred miles. I can't without stopping 12 times. Well, she. Won. I don't know what she wants. She wants a belt buckle, but 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 we uh, just out of precaution, we had gone to uh, just to get her checked out because some numbers were a little different. And uh, come to find out, she's fine. Those numbers are elevated normally after a hundred mile race. I mean, I can't believe. I mean, yeah. So we, but we had the wonderful opportunity to spend uh, about eight hours in the local ER just waiting to be seen in a little hallway and with people around doing weird things. And it was quite the experience. So we were exhausted and slept on Wednesday, and that's why we weren't here. So I do appreciate Brenton uh, stepping in and covering. I know that he spoke a little bit about discipleship. He did just a great job and then had a bit of a Q&A, and I love that. Um, I, I just i am so grateful for a study like this, for Bible study, for you guys who come out faithfully each week. It's really almost a small group, if you will. It's almost like a Sunday school class where you just kind of get to know people, and some people are a little newer, and some of, some are the, some of you are the old guard that have been here a bit from the beginning. And, and are, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I say guard, not old guard, but you know, it's, it's just a saying. But, but it's just a, such a warm and pleasant atmosphere, and uh, it, I don't know, there's something about gathering together as a body uh, and breaking bread and having fellowship and studying His Word. And, you know, I often wonder, are, are, will they come back? What, what, why do you come? What, and, and I was just thinking about um, why do we study the Bible? And why do we have these things? And why do you guys come out midweek when, when maybe a, a 160 people don't? And I, I've always wondered those things, you know. And it's just what the way churches go. Some people go to different group things, like some are in men's ministry and some are in women's. So they're spread out a bit. So, but it's so neat to see everyone come out for something like this. And and we do this so that, you know, I was thinking, why am I doing this tonight? What are we studying? And so that we can we can be challenged to grow a bit in our faith, so we can learn about Christ and His attributes to to more love and appreciate Him, and that spurs us on. And it also maybe gives us a little something to think about as we interact with other people throughout the week and, and as we share the gospel. And, and, and those are all the things that, that's why we do this. And we want to bring glory to God by showing that we're studying His Word and becoming uh, study to show thyself to prove unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And just by studying, and, and Brenton talked about um, the Bible last week in this last passage, but um, let me just start with a few announcements, just briefly. We, we, I would like to say that I wish we could be in the new building, but we don't have a CO yet. We're still working on some electrical things and a couple little things, but there we are. There are meeting people are meeting out there, uh, and that's 
and I'm going to get this right, and I'm even going to look at you, Maureen, because I know Maureen is leading this, taking charge of this, Thursday mornings at 9 a.m., having a prayer time, a prayer meeting, out just under the oaks. And you can bring a chair, you can sit out there, but Thursdays at 9 in the morning. Just, and it is, it is something that we're gathering and doing. Um, so I just want to let you know about that. Also, Friday morning, is uh, the se- our Seniors in Fellowship is having an, an outing. And I was on the last one they did up at the McClarty Museum. It was a lot of fun. Went to the inlet, ate some food. Uh, they're going to be meeting down at Charlene's Coyote Grill. It sound like a church event, but anyway, um, at 11.30 a.m. to have lunch. That's in Fort Pierce. And then, if you can't make that, at 1 o'clock, they're doing a tour at Missionary Flights International. And if you were with us this past weekend, uh, Joe Carabench, who is a president of Missionary Flights, um, talked about what they do, and, and they're going to give a full tour of that facility on Friday at 1 p.m. So you can join for lunch and or uh, do the tour. So I just want to make you aware of a couple things that are happening um, in the body. So it's good to be here. I'm excited about opening your word tonight. I don't know how far we're going to get. It's just so rich, but um, let's open with prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for how good you are to us, Father. We thank you for your, your grace and your mercy. We thank you that, um, that we can approach you, Father, as a child, uh, boldly, coming before the throne of grace, Father, for comfort, for help. Um, and Lord, I just pray that uh, as we study your word tonight, that your Holy Spirit will illuminate the text, that, uh, again, the things that, um, that we might be convicted by will come forward through the, through the teaching, Lord, and some things that we just might not have known or didn't understand will be, will be clear tonight, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So it's been a, I often consider how people's days have been. You know, people come from different, you might have been running ragged all day long. You might have been resting all day in prayer and everybody's coming from a different scenario. Some people have had some medical issues and, and um, you know, right now we're in the midst of the last days of our beloved pet or cat for 19 years we've had. And it's just been a rough, kind of a tough week. And um, that's occurring right now. And I had a meeting at two and a meeting at four, and I left the meeting at four to come out here. So it's just been a busy day. But as I studied this morning, I just remembered how good it is to come into a gathering of believers to study his word, to God's word, and, and just the kind of peace and comfort that brings to us. And so I just want to refocus on what we're doing here tonight. So what I'd like to do is just kind of recap what Brenton did two weeks ago, and he was, he was in chapter 4, and it was talking about coming into God's rest. Now, God's rest is, can be the Sabbath rest, but really, I think in this text that we were talking about, the rest was simply coming into the, the resting and the knowledge of the gospel and knowing that we have comfort and solace when we become believers that rest. And there's three things that we need to do to enter that rest. Now, obviously, uh, salvation is a gift. It's a gift of grace. But we need three things that this text pointed out. And I'm not going to go to the specific verses. It just was an overview of what I saw. We need faith in Christ alone. That is our salvation. The second thing we need is we need to have a healthy fear. Now, it's not just a fear of God. That's a, that's a whole other sermon and topic. It's not a, I'm afraid fear. It's a healthy fear, an understanding of the holiness of God and, and the reverence we should have and the awestruck uh, nature. But the fear 
of taking our salvation and our faith seriously, lest we drift away. We've seen that through, as a common theme through Hebrews. We also, we must also, um, to enter His rest, we must strive. We don't strive for our salvation. We strive to continue to grow and be more like Christ. And that striving is our sanctification. It's our, our pressing forward and hitting the mark. And, and we, we'll miss it. We'll fall off the path. But getting back up with the help of the Holy Spirit and striving to maintain who we are to enter His rest. Um, just tonight as an overview, at the very beginning we talked about all the different sections of this, of this particular book. We talked about Christ superior to, he's superior to angels, he's superior to Moses. And the one tonight, and then there's also the warnings thrown in amongst those. And we're going to get to a warning probably next week or the week after. But really the focus now is on Christ's superior, superiorness or superiority to Aaron. And why is that important? Well, because Aaron represented the priesthood, the high priest. Came, there was a lineage that came of high priests that were selected from a certain group of people. And they were the ones that were the high priests. And, um, you know, just briefly, just as a, a, a recap of, well, just to try to, to wrap our heads around the importance of having a high priest, because it's a very foreign topic and subject to us as even uh, modern believers. High priest, that sounds almost uh, Catholic or sounds high church, but a high priest, and, and, and you have to understand, remember who this book is being written to, the writer of Hebrews was, was speaking to Jews who through thousands of years of tradition prior to Christ coming, uh, all they knew was the high priest and, and the role of the high priest and, and once a year uh, bringing, uh, the, the, our, <laughs> bringing our things to the high priest and our sins and having the atonement done and only the high priest could enter, uh, well, he entered the basic general realm and then he entered the the, the, the more sacred realm, and then he entered the Holy of Holies. There's three levels. And he went in there and he atoned for the sins of the people through, through animal sacrifice, through blood, through an atonement. And so just understanding the times and what that really understands, you can understand why the, the high priesthood is so significant in the writings here. But what does that mean to us? So really a high priest is really for us more of an advocate someone that, a go-between, someone that represents us, and that's Christ to us. We have a holy God, and He had a perfect plan of salvation, and through His Son, His Son became that conduit, that go-between, the ability for us to approach the throne, so to speak. And so that's what the high priesthood is about. If you have an understanding of the historical context, it gives a greater meaning to what we're going to talk about tonight. So... Um, I, I, I always search for a title, uh, and the title really comes from the very end of this passage tonight. And if you're right taking notes, I would just simply say the one of the most important points, although there's several really good ones, I don't even know if I'll get to this one, is simply that he became the source of eternal salvation. And sometimes the way you say things really matters. But let me, so let me repeat that. He became the source of eternal salvation. The source, the only source, the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father 
except through him. And we're going to see that at the end of this passage. But just to kind of give you an understanding and some, a few presuppositions as we enter this passage, I want to do this on the front end. This is the front porch, so to speak, before we actually enter the door of the study tonight. So on the front end of this, um, we need to understand these presuppositions. The first one is our need for a high priest, our need for a mediator, for someone to bridge the gap that we did not have, that the Jews did not have for thousands of years. They had that high priest, but he was a man. So number one, our need for a high priest, an intercessor, a representative, one who argues for us as a lawyer would because of our sin. The second thing, the second priest, so the first one is our need for a high priest. The second presupposition here is before we enter this, uh, this text is our need for a more final or complete high priest. And if you remember, there was priest and then a priest would die. They were human. And there would be another priest and another priest, and they were living only, you know, maybe 100 years at the time or even less. And so there'd be priest after priest, but they would die. But we needed a final, a final or a complete, a more final, complete uh, priest, the truest and the last. He's our final high priest. Thirdly, third presupposition is simply our need for a compassionate high priest who is, uh, I'm going to just kind of slowly, if, you, if you're taking notes, I'll try to slow down a little bit because I just have these three points. So our need for a compassionate high priest who is, firstly, qualified, in other words, chosen or appointed, as we'll find out that all priests were. So qualified, number one, and two, who is empathetic and gentle, which high priest were. So again, number three, our need for a compassionate high priest who is both qualified and who is empathetic or gentle. So that kind of lays the groundwork for, well, why do we need a high priest? You know, and so just to give you an understanding, that's, that's what they did. Those were traditions. And so salvation came and forgiveness came through the high priest. And so this final high priest is the best of the best. So this passage in text is going to show why Jesus is a better high priest than even the all of the Aaronic priesthood, even Melchizedek, who is even better than, and that's a whole note. We'll get to that later. Um, say a prayer for whatever that sirens are. I hate to hear sirens. Um, so anyway, um, so in tonight's passage, uh, the text really culminates into a statement which was basically he became the source of our eternal salvation, but getting an understanding of what the high priesthood is. Um, so right out of the gate, coming into the passage, in ch from in chapter, we're, we're going to be in chapter 4 tonight, there's an, a, a massive amount of application. And when you're studying the Bible, sometimes application is very direct. It's just clear what to do and how to apply this to our lives. Sometimes it's a little more Again, we're, we're just maybe sometimes we're reading more about the, God's nature and character, and we can derive things from that or grow strength from that. But right out of the gate, we get some very strong um, applications here, which we'll start with. So let's begin in the text. We're going to be in verse 14 of chapter 4. So let's turn, if you will, to chapter 4, verse uh, 14. Now, I want you to look at those first two words. If you have the ESV, 
It should say since then. Since then, that's going to start the, the, the idea and the thoughts. But if you look real quickly at verse 16, it says, let us then. So since this, then this, right? So that, watch, the, watch the passage here as we see this. So let's begin with a since then. So it's telling you, because of this, I need you to do these two things we're going to see in the passage. So let's just kind of navigate this. I'm going to try to slow down a little bit because I'm getting excited. Okay, since then, we have a great high priest. Emphasis on the word great. It's not just a, an okay high priest or an adequate high priest. He is a great high priest. Now, why is that? Well, you will see in just a second here. A great high priest who has passed through the heavens. And then they name him Jesus, Son of God. That's important too. So what does it mean that he's passed through the heavens? He has, he, he died, was crucified, died, resurrected, resurrected, and passed through the heavens to be seated at the right hand of God. That's why he is a great high priest. And I want you to look at this. There's a parallel here that it was interesting to note from, it might have been Matthew Henry that pointed this out as I was studying this, but there's sort of a parallel in what Christ passed through to leave, to, to ascend to heaven. And so the, 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 through the Aaronic high priest, a high priest had a, a sort of a, a path into a high place, and there were three levels of that. There was the outer court, which was kind of a general area where they could be, and then they passed into the holy place. That's sort of the second area that they, that they entered. But then there was an area, the holy of holies, where only the high priest could enter. And so all through the thousands of years, the Jews and the Israelites knew this. They knew of this, this uh, analogy of the three levels and areas that these priests, the high priest could go. Where you have Christ, though, the great high priest who had passed through the heavens, you're looking at, um, at the atmospheric heaven. In other words, Christ ascended in our atmospheric heaven that we could see. The, the, the disciples watched him ascend and leave. He passed through the celestial heavens, which are the stars and what is beyond what we just see, and then into God's dwelling place, the ultimate holy of holies as a representation. So the analogy here are those three levels that a high priest could go into, and Christ is greatest and is the great high priest, number one, because he went, ascended from the celestial, or sorry, from the atmospheric to the celestial to the actual, where God is, the present. And there are a lot of scripture passages that talk about this. I'm not going to go into detail on them, but it talks about the different areas and levels. It's a very fascinating story, or not story, but um, study. So with that overall picture, um, let's continue back. So I just want to give you an idea of what it means to pass through the heavens. That means all three into this where, where, where God is. So it says, Jesus, the Son of God. Very A very strong emphasis on not just the fact that he is Christ, but He is the Son of God. A lot of people say, you know, what was He truly? Well, it says it right here. So here, here we come, and then we come to this in verse 14, the first really application, okay? So since we have such an incredible and great and better high priest who has not only ascended through our heavens, but through the celestial and is currently in at the right hand of God, since we know these things, hold fast to our confession. 
And what does that mean? We've talked about a little bit about that before. To hold fast to me, and we've seen that, that language, I don't even know, it might have been in, in, if I go back to two, it started, you know, we must pay close attention, you know, to, lest we drift away. And then I think somewhere else it talks about holding fast, and Brenton might have even covered that. So it says, to hold fast to our confession. A confession is simply what we know of the true gospel of Christ and what Christ did. Hold fast to what we believe, which brings up all kinds of questions um, in that. So since Christ uh, is our great high priest, we must hold fast. And so the confession is, and when we talk about holding fast to a confession, um, oftentimes, sometimes that means remaining bold in what we believe and being strong in what we believe and holding fast to it in very difficult times and holding fast to our confession enough where if we get pressure from the world or pressure from a, a conversation with someone that's very skilled in their understanding of all world religions, can you hold fast to your confession? Do you hold firmly to what you believe? And, and, and we know that in this particular uh, passage in, in the Hebrews, they were holding fast to, under persecution, great persecution, and sometimes death. But holding fast to our confession is something that we should always remember. And, and, and I know I've probably talked about this before because a lot of Hebrew sort of repeats itself and, and reinforces itself. But he's saying, because Christ is such a great high priest, hold fast to what you know. You know these things. You know that we don't want to revert back to the, the, the Levitical law and, the, and the, the, the sacrifice. So hold fast to what you know. So there's their first sort of a, a challenge in a way, is to hold fast her confession. And then, th then it goes on in 15, this is interesting, because it, this sort of, sort of explains why we should. It says to do it, but here's why. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So if there was for no other reason to hold fast your, to, to what you know about the truth of the gospel, it's that we have a high priest who is, who is not just great and has surpassed and gone through the heavens, but he's actually is able to sympathize with us because he was human. He took on human form and he, he was tempted in every way and he suffered in every way. So He's sympathetic, and we'll see as we continue on that I, I, as I was reading this, I, I didn't really understand. I, I kind of thought that, you know, Caiaphas was a high priest, and we know what Caiaphas did to Christ. But high priests typically, though, were appointed and selected, but they also were very compassionate and gentle. And I didn't picture that in my mind. I figured, a, 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 you know, just a very, with all the, you know, the high priest wore this incredible garb and robe, and they would work their way through the outer courts and then into the Holy of Holies. Then it, and, and I just sort of, in my mind, I thought they just did their thing and they made all the sacrifices and they were untouchable. And, but they were actually had to be qualified in a way that they were sympathetic. And they had to really because they were human. And so Christ also is a sympathetic high priest. So the Jews and the people that, or the, the Israelites, that they were, the Jews that they're writing to understood this that a high priest had to be appointed, selected, but also compassionate. And so it's telling them right here that 
guys, you know that Christ is compassionate. He, he's, he, can, he, can, he knows. He, he, he lived on this earth. He suffered through the things that we suffer through. He suffered immense persecution, which we are going through. And so there's a good reason for us to really hold fast because we're not just, you know, just, it could have been so, so, so many different ways I always consider that God could have demonstrated salvation. He could have just, you know, flicked a comet and that was it. Or he could have done something where, but this incredible plan of having his son who was with him for eternity to come to earth and to suffer and die. It's just incredible. So he's really trying to, as the authors here is just really saying, he can sympathize with our weakness, and he was tempted in every respect, but he didn't sin. He was perfect, and we'll get to that later. Here comes the second thing, verse 16. It says, so then it's the therefore. Let us therefore, or let us now, since those things, with confidence, that means with boldness and a confidence that we are steadfast, that we can do this without thinking about it, draw near to the throne of grace. Such a beautiful passage. Let me just read it in full. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is a beautiful passage. That is unlike any other world religion you can even dream of. No other religion is like that. No other holy God who, who gave His Son as a sacrifice so that we could have rightness with Him is so approachable. And, you know, when I was a kid, I... I now, I'm not going to call my... going to meet with my dad at the throne of grace, but, but when I had a bad report card or I had something that I did wrong and I needed to have it signed because I went to a really strict private school, you know, and by the way, I love my father if he's watching on live stream, but, um, but, but I did not necessarily boldly with confidence approach, approach him with something I knew I did wrong. There was a fear there, and, 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 and probably on me, my, my father, a wonderful relationship with my dad, um, but there was this, this he, he wanted the best for me, and he expected the best, and you know, in high school, I had a quote-unquote bad attitude. It was written on one of the reports. But, you know, so go figure out, right? I don't believe that either. But, but, but I was so nervous. I, my stomach would be in wrenches and knots when I would have to go get something signed by him uh, if that, that showed that, yes, this is what your son did today. And, and this is the opposite of that. Now, I don't know what your experience has been or was with your parents. But a lot of times, people have really difficulty approaching their idea of, of God as a father because of maybe some really negative experiences people had on earth with their earthly father. And so sometimes there's a real shift that has to occur based on what we know about God from His Word about how we can reframe and rethink how we approach our father. Because mine wasn't, wasn't necessarily a good experience. Mine was tough. But it says right here that we can, because he's, because he's a great high priest and Jesus is interceding for us as our high priest and he's able to sympathize with us, it says, draw near to that, that throne of grace with our, with our sins, with our problems, with our issues, but do it with mercy to find grace and help in time and need. 
that's just so comforting. I, I, I've, it brings me back to Psalms 46. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble or in time of need. He, he, he's our Father. He wants us to... He, I mean, I don't want to say He's up there wringing our hands because He needs nothing. We know that God is complete without us. He doesn't need us. He never did. But He wants and desires that we have communion with Him. And that's just not when times are good, when things are going great. And am I doing good, God? Yes, every great, I didn't lie today or whatever. But when things go rough, when we sin, we need to know and it's hard for us. We, we carry a lot of guilt. We carry a lot of shame. People that get into habits of sin, that just they, they can't seem to get out of it. And then the devil takes over and he, he causes, it's not the Holy Spirit that's causing conviction. It's the devil that's causing guilt. And, 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 but we need, to, we need to hold fast to what we know to be able to drop everything and as a child come to the throne of grace, come to, come to God. Because we have an advocate at the right hand who is constantly working for us and, and praying for us nonstop. And so just, just, just this passage alone is very comforting. Uh, so, you know, again, it starts with since we have a great high priest and, and it goes, talks about how great he is, but it also talks about his, how merciful and sympathetic. And it's just incredible. Even in Hebrews 2, 16 and 18, it says, um, if you want to turn back briefly, just to, just to reinforce this with you, 2.16. And it's, it's comparing him to angels, because obviously angels can't do this. For surely it's not angels that he helps, he being Christ, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And then 18 says, for because Christ was tempted, or excuse me, before, let me go back up. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we've got this, this reinforcement of being able to approach him, even during times when, when you, you haven't even sinned yet, and, and you're struggling, and you're, Lord, help me, what can I do? You can boldly approach the throne and say, I need help right now. Help me with this. Holy Spirit that indwells me, change my thoughts, do something supernatural. And we're called to do this. So the call is to do this, to boldly approach. It should be daily because I know we sin. We may have, you may have one or two days where you sneak by without a sin, but pretty much until we get to glorification, we're going to be having sinning going on. First John talks about that. But I think a big part of, um, of our Christian walk really should be confession. And confession meaning coming boldly and unashamedly, apologetically with a humility, to that throne of grace, but not, not stepping back going, I, he, I don't think God would hear me on this one. I've just gone too far, or I keep doing this. He's not going to listen to me now. No, he will, and it says that. So just really two great applications from that uh, simple text there. So let's kind of dive in. In chapter, well, we have dove in. In fact, we could probably just stand there, but I'm not. I've got a lot more to go. So we'll see how far we can get. So it, when it, when, let's, if we continue on in verse, excuse me, in chapter five, verse one, notice it says four. So he's just talked about since 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 Jesus is a great high priest, 
and he's fantastic and great and amazing and, and can, can, and is a great help in time of need and he's done through, it says four, which really says, so because you know this, so in other words, so because you know that every, and now what it's doing here in this next section is really speaking to the Jews and reminding them what they know about what a high priest does or did or probably still was doing at the time. Because, you know, it says, it's almost a present tense as I read this, which means that they were still practicing some of this. It drifted, it, it waned, but they were still practicing these, the high priesthood. And so, so because you know that every high priest, it's just saying, here, here's why you know this. Every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So the first point there being is that, number one, high priests were appointed by God. And so he's comparing, in this little passage, he's comparing Christ to the high priests and saying, just to be clear that Christ is adequate, in fact, not just adequate, but beyond adequate, let me show you how Christ relates is, is par- as a parallel to the high priest. So number one, he's appointed. So it says, for every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. It's talking about what the high priest did and or maybe we're doing. But here's the second qualification here. Number one, they were appointed, which Christ was by God. Number two, he can deal gently. So high priests back in the Levitical priesthood were called to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. That's me. (laughs) That's me right there. That's all of us actually, right? Since he himself is beset with weakness. So he's, he's, they're, 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 they're reflecting back, turning back to what the high priest did. They were men. They were weak because they had sinned, but they were also were gentle and caring because they experienced that. Now, we know that they were tempted and yet did sin. We do know why Christ is better and that's coming because he was tempted and what? Did not sin. So actually, the, 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 the reasoning is, is, is almost right there. So verse 3, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. That's the high priest back then, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So the parallel there is that Christ, or that they, all the high priests were called by God. That was one of the requirements, is to be appointed or called by God. And we also, you're going to see the, the argument continue here. So uh, well, here we go, verse 5. So also... And this is the comparison that he's making. He's reasoning with the, with the Jews here. So also Christ did not exalt himself. He didn't do it on his own to, to become a high priest, but was appointed by him, God, who said to him, and here's, here's quoting, God, this is what God is saying to his son, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You're my only begotten son. And then notice back up in verse 14 where it says Jesus, the son of God. It's sort of reinforcing that. So he was appointed. Uh, And then verse 6, it says, he also says in another place, it was actually Psalm 110.4, you are a priest 
forever, referring to Christ, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a very interesting uh, character, not character, a person in the Bible who was a real person, but was even greater than Aaron in that priesthood. It's a whole interesting story, and we're going to get into that, well, actually a little bit later on in chapter 6. So I don't want to go there quite yet, but it's very fascinating to think that there was an entire generation or or, or selection of people, of a a family that could only be high priests, and they were chosen by God for just that. And yet somewhere in a place called Salem, ironically, there was even a greater high priest. And we'll explain why, and we'll get into that later when we get into that. But that's just a quoting from, and what he's showing is that, number one, he's the son of God in these two passages. Number two, he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which means a greater high priest than even the Aaronic priesthood. So as we get into verse seven here, it really is talking about um, Christ and and what Christ went through in order to perfectly be our salvation. And so that's kind of where this takes a slight shift here. So let's kind of go into this. In verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, obviously as a man, but it's really pointing to a point where this is known to be right prior or during crucifixion. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, he he was heard on the cross, but he wasn't taken down off the cross. He had to go through with what he did. He also had to, in fact, in the garden, he was crying out and praying and, and asking, is, if there's a way that this would possibly pass, could this occur? And God didn't say, okay, you're good. I'll, I'll take you out of this. He had to go through with the plan of salvation. So as we look at this passage, it's a little confusing, but he was heard because of his reverence. So what's referring to really is not necessarily that Christ was plucked out of the situation that he had to go through. It's that the it's pointing to the reverence and the... Um, subservient nature of Christ and how in the long run he was rewarded for everything that he'd gone through. And so, but it wasn't, it wasn't until Christ was obedient that it occurred. And so if you continue on, it says, although he was a son, Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now that's not to say that he didn't know how to obey. That's foolish. He clearly did. But through the suffering, obedience was demonstrated to the point that it was satisfactory to God. Again, I always hearken back to other ways that God could have done this, and and He could have done it in any, any way. But to have His own Son, who is with Him from eternity past, to come to earth to lead a perfect life, to be tempted in every way, and to be obedient to death is what made God's plan of salvation perfect. And it couldn't have happened any other way. 
And so, as we see, it says, learned obedience through what he suffered. He knew no... Well, he was tested and he made perfect. Uh, Christ succeeded where we failed. And it says, in being made perfect, he he became this... Okay, this is where I just love this. Um, It says, I just have some notes here on verse 7. So the agonizing cries to rescue him from death is basically what that was happening, and the Father did just that. But on verse 8, my notes say, here's what I had written down. His suffering, number one, that was required. And number two, his obedience in the suffering were confirmations of his humanity because without him being truly human, the sacrifice would not have been great enough so that he could be the perfect sacrifice in place of us. Those two things had to occur. So as we get to verse 9, because of his perfection in obedience, he was perfectly obedient. His perfect righteousness, he was perfectly righteous because he never sinned. And his perfect sacrifice on the cross, he truly is. Now, what does it say here? This kind of brings us to the, to the, 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 almost the title of this whole thing, which I think is huge. I'm going to read this really slowly. And being made perfect, remember, perfect in everything he did, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I just had to read that a couple times because that's about as clear as it gets. He's not, it doesn't say he became one of the sources of eternal salvation. It doesn't say he became the source of eternal salvation for everybody that believes whatever they want. It's it's that he was made perfect and he became the source of eternal salvation. That was it. He's the source. There's no one else. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Christ alone. No one comes to the Father except through him. It doesn't get any clearer than that. That's what we hold fast to. That's what you when you when you're sharing the gospel, people say, "Well, what about can't? What about you? I mean, I come up kind of a universalist. I I like to believe in you know all roads can enter to go to heaven. No, it, it you can't. It doesn't say that. It's not true. He is the source, the one source of salvation to those who obey him, and that is as clear as it gets. And so, again, in this passage, we've got these strong encouragements and applications, but then we've got this rock-solid anchor of a truth right here that says he was made perfect in everything he did and and became the, the single source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, all believers that put their faith and trust in him. That's obedience. If you love me, you will do what? Obey, keep my commandments. So for those who do that, he is the source. It continues on in chapter in verse 10. It says, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, we'll get into the Melchizedek stuff a little later on, but, but I, I just, it just really struck me that sentence. If you could just dwell on a sentence, of, a verse from the Bible this week, it's, it could be that one that he is the only source. Um, it's just profound, and it just it really kind of sinks in 
when you, when you just continue to dwell on that. Um, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Um, chapter 6 is amazing. It's a wonderful chapter. Again, remember as we go into the... I'm not, I'm not done yet. Don't put your stuff away. <laughs> um, but I'm just kind of giving you a preview into chapter into chapter 6. And, and, and I almost would tend to agree a little bit with Brenton on the authorship. You're like, you, almost because like, you'll get there, she says. You'll get there because Paul got really sassy in some of his letters with the Galatians and, and with Ephesians. But, let, uh, but <laughs> uh, I'm just going to read a little. Just don't even, don't, don't look. I'm, let me read it to you just so it, so, the, so it impacts you. Just listen. Just don't look. Don't look at your Bible. Just listen to me. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It almost sounds like a play, you know, just this character. But I'm just going to leave that. It's just a little preview of next week. It's a fantastic. And remember, as we go through the Hebrews, there are certain passages that we know and are understood by scholars to have been written to believing Jews. There are some that are written to Jews that were, that were just coming into the faith, but they were being pulled by, by other things. And then there were some Jews that had, that had tasted, that had seen, that, that had the head knowledge. Yeah, okay, I get it. This Christ thing could make sense. I, I can rationalize that, but I'm, I'm not obedient to it. I'm not committed to it. I'm not. There's three, three different groups of Jews that those would be written to. And so this is an interesting passage in 6. It's a great, we're going to wade our way slowly through it. But by way of conclusion tonight, I I just always like to go back to some of the application. Uh, Because a Bible study might just be a history lesson. If there's there's nothing we can just remember and take, take with us, something that we can, as we come up with someone tomorrow, we talk to someone tomorrow, or we get into a struggle tomorrow, or, or we get bad news tomorrow or suffer through something, we need to have something we can kind of remember. And I don't want to pull things out that aren't there, but I think these things are. Since each one of us has such a great and affectionate and loving high priest, do we firmly hold fast to our faith? Just a question. How hard do you hold fast? How much do you trust it? Do you trust it enough to, to unapologetically share the gospel? When you know something and believe something well, you have no problem disseminating that information. Do you know it enough to share the gospel unashamedly with someone in line or someone that pulls out in front of you and pulls you over? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you hold fast enough to never be ashamed of him? Do, sometimes, I'll admit, I, there's been times in my life where I, my fear of man is greater than my fear of God. And I hear something or I, I'm talking to someone and I just get home and go, man, I should have been bolder. I can't believe it. I'm sorry, Lord, you know. But enough to not be ashamed of him. Is it enough to finish strong? To finish strong relying on the truth of what we know here from the gospel. Gospital. It's a new word. The gospel. Should be a gospel. The gospel. I had a hospital and gospel. I kind of coined a new term. We all need to go to the gospital, don't we? 
but enough to finish strong, relying on the truth of the gospel. We can rely on a lot of things. Sometimes we can rely on our conscience and how we feel and, and what our good friends and our belief, fellow believers tell us. But there's really only one thing that we know for sure is solid and 100% accurate, and that's the Word of God. Um, secondly, do we, without fear, boldly go before God because of Jesus to find mercy and help in time of need. If you're struggling with something, our first reaction sometimes is to just like, I've got this, I can do this on my own. Stop, drop, and, and boldly go, you know. Um, do you know that He is? Do you know and recognize that He is a genuine, gentle, loving Father that wants us to come to Him? Even though He is sovereign and holy beyond anything we know, he still wants us to approach the throne of grace with, with needs, with problems, with, com with anything that we need, any, any kind of comforting we need. He wants us to come. Regardless of the experience you may have had with your earthly father or earthly caregiver, this is different. God is different. And as we see these things here, you must believe these things. You need to know that he is a, a gentle and loving father. He's holy. And sometimes he will reprimand us and discipline us, but that's not with a hard, abusive hand. It's for correction so that we can grow and come to him. Finally, do you know and believe that Christ and Christ alone is the single way, truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him? It's our belief in what Christ did on the cross, and in that alone, um, that brings salvation. That's it. Nothing beyond that. So I hope some of these things are, are, are just things to maybe think about, things to maybe encourage you when, you when you struggle this week or when you have problems to just, just go, to, go before God. And, and He's gracious and merciful and kind and gentle. It says it right here in front of us. And um, we need to trust those things. So... I'm going to close in prayer, and then I'd love to take prayer requests after we shut down the live stream. Let's close. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. Lord, we, we, we see in this passage, Father, that you are a good and loving Father. There's a, a beautiful song called The, the Goodness of God, and uh, one of the lyrics is, All my life you have been faithful. We can look back over our lives and see that you are merciful, though things uh, you know, have not always been pleasant or good, and we've had trials, Lord, but you know that uh, we know that we can come to you, Father, with, with, uh, with our needs. We can come, for you, come to you for comfort, and we can come to you um, when we fail, Lord, and we can come knowing that you are merciful, Lord, and that when you look at us, you see the righteousness of your Son on us. Lord, thank you for sending your Son to make the perfect atonement for our sins, so that we might have salvation. Go with us as we travel, Father. Bring us together uh, Sunday or, or next week at Bible study. In your name we pray. Amen.